welcome, welcome on this uh, very fine and icy day. Um, again, once again, really, I commend you uh, for coming out and worshiping and letting the presence of God thaw you out and not just a heater, you know, in the uh, side of your room. But if I haven't met you yet, my name is Rollin and I'm the lead pastor here and it's uh, good to be with you worshiping God today. So um, guys, as we uh, get started today, uh, I wanted to let you know that yes, we are glad you were here, um, but we are going through a series as we begin this New Year's together. Um, and it's actually a series called Amazing Grace. So the very song that we were singing this morning is the theme of our scripture and the theme of our reading over the next several weeks. And it's good news because the grace of God is the, literally the foundation of our relationship with him. And when we think of the grace of God, we can think of it in many ways, and that's why we're going to be talking about it over the course of the next several weeks. Um, this past week, um, we started off this series, and we were talking about God's abundant grace, right? That regardless of where we started, we have an abundant God who gives us abundant grace to come to him, and he's not in short supply of it. As a matter of fact, he's overwhelmingly generous in giving his grace to us. That's, that's the nature of God, and it's helpful in coming to God because whenever you look or hope to come to somebody, a lot of times you come to them based on the disposition that you think they have. Isn't that not, is that not true? And so when we come to him in abundant grace, we come to him expecting his kindness. We come to him expecting his goodness. We come to him expecting all that he did for us in Jesus to be continually expressed to us throughout our lifetimes, and that's the good news of the gospel. Um, today, as we continue this series, we're going to talk about amazing grace, but we're going to talk about it in the form of justifying grace. Justifying grace, which is a theological foundation that you need to have if you're going to understand why you're able to stand in the presence of a holy and a righteous God. We know that God's perfect. We know that God's righteous. We know that God has no flaw in him. So how is it that we as humanity have the ability to have relationship with that person who's unstained? And the truth of the matter is, is that we have it only because of God's justifying grace. And so what we're going to talk about today is how basically God's justifying grace impacts our eternity, how justifying grace impacts our eternity. And we're going to look at this scripture and we're going to camp out in this scripture today. It's Titus chapter three, verses three through seven. So if you have a Bible today, you can open to Titus chapter three, verses three through seven. If you don't, there's uh, the scripture for you on the screen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you've given us your word. And you've given us the ability to know you because of your justifying grace. Not only is your grace abundant towards us, but God, you justify us. You, meet, you count us innocent in your sight because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. That's the only way we have the ability to stand in relationship with you or before you, God. So God, we're praying that this truth would go deep within us today. It would transform our thinking. It would transform our relationship with you, and it would free us to run with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read the scripture together. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Okay? This is the Apostle Paul writing, and he is giving instruction to one of his uh, disciples, Titus. Titus is helping to lead the churches, and so he's explaining to them what people need to remember, recognize, and continually know, okay? 
He says, I'm making a juxtaposition between who you once were before meeting Jesus and who you are in Jesus by his justifying grace. He says, we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, that's the key word, justified, counted innocent by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. <clears throat> so that being justified by his grace, we might be, okay, so here we go. Whenever we think about this, we think about the fact that there is something that's coming to us quickly called augmented reality. Augmented reality. How many people have heard of Oculus before? Okay, Oculus with Facebook. How many people have used any type of augmented reality before? Okay, it's what, it's what you do when you put on the visor, you put in the earphones, you almost go into another world, right? Um, if any of you have seen the movie recently that came out, uh, Ready Player One, how many people have seen that movie um, before? It's basically an explanation of what happens in augmented reality. And augmented reality is a fascinating thing because of the fact that you can literally be transported into another world. And in this other world, you can do things that you normally in your natural self could not do. You begin to see things that you otherwise would not see. You, if you were a five foot one <clears throat> wannabe NBA player, all of a sudden you have the ability to play with LeBron James. If you all of a sudden wanted to be somebody who's in the middle of a battle and like live out your dreams as a war hero, you can do that in augmented reality. Anybody ever done something like that before? Okay. Or if you are uh, actually just saw the rise of Skywalker, yes, you too could be a Jedi in augmented reality, yielding and wielding your own lightsaber. But here's the thing about it. Regardless of where you find yourself in augmented reality, the truth of the matter is, is that once you leave that place, is back to the real world. It's back to the real world, right? And no matter how, how good it was in that augmented reality session, once you come back out, you have to deal with the realities that face you in the world that's broken and fallen because of sin. And the big idea that we want to get today is that God's amazing justifying grace augments reality, our real reality, with Christ's mercy. It's not something that we go into and then come back to the real world devoid of, but it's something that literally transforms the world in which we live because it transforms the way in which we see God, ourselves, and the world around us. So the thing that we want to do is break the scripture down and understand that starting in verse 3, we see that God's grace stands in sharp contrast with the godlessness and sin that we see around us in the world. In verse 3, Paul gives us a laundry list of human sin, and it's by no means conclusive, but it's at least something that you recognize in the world around you, right? If you go to work, 
if you go into your neighborhood, if you sometimes go in interactions with your own family, you see this, that people living in sin are foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing their days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. The closer we get to the election cycle, do, do not these things come out in humanity? Does not the polarization in the world in which we see ourselves bring out the very sin that's reticent in people's hearts and it brings it to the surface so that it's the reality in which we live? But why Paul mentioned this is not because he wanted us to not just understand the place that humanity finds itself in, but if you're a Christian who's experienced the grace of God, understand and remember the place that he's brought you from that the grace of God getting, working in your life is literally a transforming grace that literally should transform you from one state to another, that before you were trapped in the pattern of this world, the pattern of humanity, but through the grace of God, through the mercy of God, his work inside of you is transforming you into something different. Christians can think back and remember what you were like. It's easy to get discouraged about where God wants to take you whenever you're living the day-by-day -day life, right? When you're having to deal with work pressures or family pressures. But whenever you think about where God wants to take you, you look at it and say, it's hard. But whenever you understand that God's mercy is augmenting your perspective, that wherever he's taking you is not so hard as where he's brought you from, then you can be an encouragement that the future is brighter than your past. Because of where he's taken you from is already so dark and he's overcome that, anything that he wants to bring you into should be encouragement towards you. Does that make sense? He's saying because you were this trapped in these things, just like the rest of the world around you, you might not be a finished product yet. You might not be a complete work yet, but the good news is, is that you used to be these things, and in the grace of God, you're different now. So any place that he wants to take you is obviously going to be better, and you have hope of where he's trying to take you because of where he's already brought you from. It's almost like what the uh, old, uh, old saying was, I may not be where I want to be, but at least I'm not where I used to be, Right? People remember that? It's sort of like that is an expression of the grace of God working in somebody's life. And this is the augmented reality that we have to have whenever we understand God's work in our life. Sin isn't merely just the bad things we do, as Paul lists here. It's the condition that has corrupted our original design specs. It's the result of the corruption of a rebellion that began long ago, but is still at work in us today. That's why grace is so amazing, because it's a corrupting work, but he's continually bringing us out. He says it's a corrupting work in our relationships. It's a corrupting work in our thoughts about people and humanity. But God's saying, through the grace of God, I'm continually bringing you out. And if you're a non-Christian today thinking about, well, is God just continually trying to point out how bad I am? The truth of the matter is, is that he's not just trying to point out how bad you are, but understand, help you understand that you are created to live as something different. You are an image bearer of God. Every person, whether you're born again or not, is an image bearer of God which means that you were designed in God's original specs to reflect his image in creation. 
And so though sin has marred our ability to reflect God, God's grace is bringing us back to a place where we'll be an image bearer of his goodness in the humanity and reality around us. He's saying, regardless of how you've been marred, my grace brings you back. And my grace can reform you and reshape you and reconstruct you in such a way that you begin to look like me once again. That's the goodness and the grace of God. This is the juxtaposition that he's creating here. When we go into verse 4, we're understanding that God's amazing grace is rooted not in the works that we do ourselves, but it's rooted in the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whenever somebody talks to me about the work that needs to be done in me, anybody ever been encouraged before about the work that needs to be done in you, right? And then you all of a sudden got a sunken face because you're like, listen, man, is this just your like grievance list against me? It's like, no, no, no. The work that needs to be done in you is actually God's encouraging invitation to be transformed into that which he's created to be. But it's based not on your ability, but on Jesus Christ appearing. Let's read this again. It says, when, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. It wasn't when you decided to be a better man or be a better woman, but it's when the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. How many people have already broken a New Year's resolution? It's like less than like a month in, and like people are already like, all right, well, 2021 will be here soon, <laughs> right? It's like, okay. It's because we're always depending on our own ability and efforts, right? We're trying to be our own saviors. But the Bible says very clearly we can't save ourselves. That it's when the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Meaning that God in his nature is a Savior. That God in his nature is one who comes near to deliver us from that which we couldn't deliver ourselves from. The habits, the thought patterns, the relational cycles that we find ourselves in. He says, when he appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, meaning God himself was not treating us as our sins deserved. And isn't that good news? In any relationship, you need mercy. My first daughter, guess what her name was? Mercy. Yes, anybody who knows her, her name is Mercy. You know why? We need a lot of mercy. And we knew it, right? It's sort of like if there was going to be any relationship with God or any healthy relationship, even with another human being. How many people know you need mercy? You need people to treat you not as you actually deserve, but actually withhold from you sometimes, oftentimes, what you actually deserve. Is that not true? The basis of any healthy relationship is mercy. And if there is not an ability to both receive and give mercy, eventually that relationship breaks down, does it not? Because the judgment, the harshness, the stranglehold that you want to have emotionally or sometimes physically over somebody, right, chokes out that relationship. But that's why God literally says, mercy in God triumphs over judgment because of the cross of Christ. If you're going to come to him, it's because of his mercy 
and not your righteousness. If you're going to stay in him, it's because he's continually treating you not as your sins deserve, but because he appeared and said, I'm withholding from you what you actually deserve. Isn't that good news? Anybody, anybody who's been walking with God for a period of time, you can say hallelujah to that. Because the longer you live, the longer you're like, listen, can this just be over? I've blown it again. Anybody ever? This morning I was like, what's wrong with my attitude? I'm about to go preach. (laughs) No, I mean, really? What's wrong with me internally? Well, there's a corrupting nature, right, that's being put to death daily, daily through the cross that I've got to choose to deny and let Jesus live, but it's because of his mercy that I'm able to do that. And his mercy withholds from me that which I deserve, but his grace empowers me to live according to the way he's called me to live. But it's only through the appearing of Jesus Christ, my Savior. I can't do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. And many of you have lived in frustration for months and years because you tried to be self-sufficient, trying to be a better man or a woman in your own strength without being connected to the vine, without being connected to the source that's going to empower you to live according to the righteousness he actually expects of you. He says there is no doing that. It's when the mercy of God appears that you're able to live in the life that he's called you to, which is a beautiful thing because then it's not just reduced to doctrine, but it's actually amplified in relationship. It's amplified in relationship. That means no, long, no matter how long I've lived in God, the longer I live, the more desperate I am for him for relationship. Relationship with the living God. Everybody excited about that, the living God? Not just the God who's an icon on a wall, on a cross, but the living God who's resurrected and when he appears literally saves me by his grace continually. That's what he provides for us in this augmented reality. God's a saving God. It's the goodness and kindness of God our Savior, his life, death, and resurrection. The event that we find when truly trusted in alters our state of affairs and differentiates our past from our future. It's because of his resurrection power that I can literally die daily and be resurrected in his life. I can die daily. What does that mean, Roland? That sounds cute. Die daily, but be resurrected in his power. That means I can literally set my mind on him and not just what I desire or my personal passions daily. And instead say, you're going to be first and I'm going to allow you to live through me. And then through setting my mind on what God, the Holy Spirit desires, I can live in accordance with him and his grace is operating in me. Because according to Romans 8, 5, he says those who set their mind on what the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, desires, live in accordance with it. But those who set their mind on the flesh live in accordance with it, right? It's death. Anybody ever find that to be true before? When you're mulling over something that's upset you? Anybody have something upset you before? And you felt the downward spiral? (laughs) 
Oh, you feel it. It's like a gravitational pull. You might be in the middle of your workplace, but you're not actually thinking about what's in front of you. You're thinking about who offended you. And then it just goes bad. And then your face changes and people are like, has anyone ever done this, had this happen to them before? People come up to you and like, are you okay? <laughs> right? And you're like, I'm fine. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't say anything, right? I didn't say anything, right? But it's okay because what's happening is the downward spiral of where you're setting your mind, right? And besides setting your mind on what the spirit desires, you're setting your mind on the flesh, and therefore you're being taken down into the place that the flesh is leading you. But when the appearing of God our Savior comes, he changes you, and he brings you up. He's a lifter of your what? Head. He said, I'm a lifter of your head, bringing you to the place of salvation, Verse 5, he saves us. He saves us. We don't save ourselves, but it's God who saves us. Repentance and faith are enabled responses to God's grace, by God's grace. If we don't see that, then we become proud and arrogant. If we don't see that repentance and faith are a response to God's grace, then we become proud and arrogant. Part of the reason that people eventually trip up in their walk with God is because they've become self-righteous, meaning proud and arrogant, thinking that they've accomplished it themselves. They know that it started with the cross, but then eventually they get a little distance from it and they think it's now being accomplished by themselves. Pride and arrogance are the result of missing the grace of God. And it's actually cyclical because when you continue to walk in it, then it continues to have you miss it, right? But if we understand that it's a result of it, then we can humble ourselves to receive it. It's not by works. We must be clear. Christianity is not a call for you to augment your own reality. That's religious self-deception. It goes on a lot for sure, but it's not the offer here. He said it's according to his own mercy. We are to look at the gospel in which God performs a saving work in Christ and respond with gratitude the only responsible response to mercy. But it's also through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. When we're regenerated, otherwise known as born again, the washing of baptism symbolized, symbolizes what has actually happened, a washing away of the death because of sin. Regeneration is the technical term for being born again. Regeneration is the technical term for being born again. What that means is that if you've been coming here and you've been listening to the gospel and you're like, I need me some of that. I need some of that grace that God's trying to offer me. What he says is you must be born again. You must be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. It's not enough that you say yes to these things. That would be good if I did it. You need to ask God to make you new internally by the Holy Spirit. Does this make sense? Saying, God, recreate me, regenerate me according to your spirit that will come and live on the inside of me. It's a creation, new creation symbolism. Just as God the Spirit fluttered over the chaos waters in Genesis, bringing out about creation, so the work of the Spirit brings about a new kind of creation in us, bringing us through new creation waters. If God really does this to us, it changes us to the core. 
We are made right, saved, washed, and given the Spirit to be different. Not just think differently, but be different. Not just feel differently. And it's because of Christ's mercy. He said Christ appeared. The Jesus event of his life, death, and resurrection is proof positive that God is merciful and that we could be different. Why do we know that we can be different? It's because of the historic work of Jesus. We know that we can be different because there was an actual historic life, miracles, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because the power that was at work in his dead body raised him from the dead, it's actually the same power that's at work in a believer whenever they were dead in their transgressions and sins and then come to life because of their faith in the power of God to make them a new creation. It's the same power. The same power that will one day raise your dead, lifeless body if God tarries, right? It will be the same power that was at work in Christ that's at work in you today, raising you to new life in him. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. You've been washed. It's a doctrine of expiation that you're not just forgiven for what you've done, but you can be cleansed from what's been done to you. Here's the good news. You hear that? That he says, I'm not going to wash you just to cleanse you from what you've done, which can many times be external. I've done sin towards other people. Anybody ever sinned against somebody else? And they've been affected by it? Yes, that's everybody, okay? But the thing is, is that the doctrine of expiation actually says through the washing of rebirth, he also cleanses you powerful from what's been done to you. And if you've been a victim in any way because of the sin inflicted upon you, because of the world in which we live, the washing not only cleanses what you've done to other people, it cleanses what's been done to you. You hear me? He can cleanse you from that so that the guilt and the shame that you walk around with because of the sin inflicted upon you Christ also washes that. Do you hear me? And he begins to wash your mind. And he begins to wash your emotions. And he begins to reestablish a value in you that was stripped from you because of the sin inflicted upon you. You hear me? This is part of the washing that takes place. It's not just you being a better person, but it's actually the washing of the Holy Spirit that cleanses you, enabling you even to remove the daggers of harmful words that were spoken against you since you were yay high. You understand? Things that formed and shaped your identity about yourself. He says, I'm coming to wash that too by the work and truth of the Holy Spirit and bring you into my saving grace. See, the word salvation was a word sozos, which literally meant to make you whole and complete. Whole and complete. Anybody ever walked around before looking for somebody to complete them? Right? I, I used to wake up in my own household, and I still remember the songs that my dad would play as we would get ready for school. He was getting ready for work, and there was this old man. I forgot his name, but he was like this jazz. He liked jazz. 
And he was always talking about, I need my soulmate. And I didn't remember the worst of words, obviously. But it was a catchy tune, right? I need my soulmate. And that's what a lot of people are looking for, right? Somebody who's going to complete me. But God's saying, listen, I'm the one who's going to complete you. I'm the one who makes you whole through the washing of rebirth. I'm the one who cleanses you from what's been done to you so that things that have been stolen from you can actually be returned and replaced. You hear that? That you don't have to walk around broken and feeling dysfunctional. He says, I'll make you functional by the Holy Spirit. Make sense? God's a healer when we've been washed. He's given you the Spirit. You're not merely saved. You are given God himself, the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just remove the punishment from you, but he gives you himself. This is what the scripture is saying. Does anybody meditate on that and think about that? He's not just removed the penalty from me, but he's given me himself. So he's come to make a home in me as a believer, and I become the temple of the Holy Spirit in which he dwells if he's drawn near to me. So I'm not just talking about him, not just talking to him, but he's dwelling in me to empower me. And that's part of the saving grace of God that you're regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean? What should we do in the midst of all of this? Number one, we should recall the story. We all have a choice. We can embrace a happy myth to augment our reality through literal augmented reality, right? Trying to escape into all types of things, whether it be augmented reality, people escape into what? Drugs, people escape into their drinking, people escape into their careers. <coughs> Pardon me. People escape into TV shows. We can escape into another religion, no religion, the pursuit of pleasure, or all types of things. Or we can realize that the only story with power to change reality is the story of the one who made it. An amazing grace augments our reality, the one that we actually live in. His mercy changes our reality because of what he does in us and not just for us. For the Christian, you can look back and remember where God has taken you, where he's brought you from. You can recall your salvation. Let the reality of what God's done augment your life in this world. You can remember that you're an heir by the Spirit. You have reason for hope that never fades. Never fades. No matter your circumstances changing or not, you have a hope that never fades. The infinite power of your inter- eternal inheritance, it needs to change your perspective. That the light and momentary troubles that I have are going to be far outweighed by what? The grace given me. The grace given me, the eternal life he has for me, right? These are light and momentary troubles. Has anybody ever buckled before under the pressures of daily life? Projects being due, assignments coming due, mistakes being made at work. 
and then you'll feel like, my goodness, let me be taken now. Well, here's the good news. What stabilizes you is the hope of eternal life, an inheritance that never perishes, spoils, or fades, kept in heaven for you, protected by that Holy Spirit who regenerates you. For the non-Christian, the person who's not yet a Christian in here, what you need to understand is that AR augmented reality may be fun when it arrives, but it shows us something about ourselves. We want reality to be different. That's the truth. A lot of times people are they're worried about how much TV people already watch. They're really concerned when augmented reality comes on the scene because they feel like people might just disappear. Disappear, plugged in all the time without actually interacting with the real world. And it shows us that reality, we want reality to be different and better than it is. But the question is, why is that? At bottom, we all know that the world should be and could be better than it is. The promise of tech is that one day it will, and perhaps parts of it will get better. But there's only one story with the power to change you now and forever. The amazing grace of Christ's mercy is that story. And you're invited to believe it, plug into it, and be transformed by it. So if you're a Christian, you need to put on the goggles, but not a fake one. Put on the reality, the augmented reality of his mercy, his grace towards you, and let that define everything you do. His grace towards you, his relationship with you. If you're not a Christian yet, you need to come to grips with the fact that the very thing you're trying to escape from, he says, I've got the solution to. I've got the solution to. And the augmenting of that reality is found at the cross. At the cross of Jesus Christ, where you can turn away from your sin, you can turn away from everything that's been destroying your life, your relationships, and your family line, and actually come to a new hope in him. That's the justifying grace of God today, where he says, I want to count you innocent in my sight. No matter where you started, no matter what you've done, come to the cross, and he says, innocent. Innocent. Innocent because of Jesus. Why? Because he was. And he wants to make an exchange today. Let him make that exchange with you. Let him make that exchange with you. It's your moment. It's your time to come back. Come into the grace of God.